This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. How's it going? Well, um, it's going. It's going. You remember? We are oh. we we are set to uh, get hurricanes, Marco. And now I refuse to call it Laura. I just call it Polo, Polo? Marco, and Polo. You have to. <laughs> um, you remember how I said I was going to start out with something positive at the beginning of every episode? Mm-hmm. Fuck that. Oh, it's over already. It'll probably That's be back cool, next I week. I never even started doing it. So. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be back next week. But today, as you know, because you had to be in my pocket all day long. Um, eh, fine. It was the first day back. And we didn't get to do an all virtual first day back. We did a hybrid first day back. Which meant that on top of the eight to ten kids who were in my room at a time. I also had 15 kids watching me on Zoom. Also, my school computer's too slow to function, so I have to use my MacBook. Um, and, oh yeah, Zoom decided to crash today. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that, and I was like, man, somebody at Zoom is going to get their ass fired today. <laughs> and and I just, like, so the the, the worst part was... Once Zoom finally got fixed and like people could use it, then Canvas, which is what we use instead of like Google Classroom, went down. So my second and third blocks, I couldn't figure out why none of my kids were joining the Zoom session because the Zoom was back up. It's because they couldn't fucking log in to the learning management system. Excellent. And because no one could get into the learning management system, the 40 minute presentation I had on how to use the damn thing was suddenly unavailable and I sat for 40 minutes while children stared at me. I might as well have been in my underwear. It was such a nightmare. Well, think about this. Tonight, somewhere in America, I assume, or maybe another country, it who knows, is at home crying to his podcast co-host, or her podcast co-host, or their podcast co-host, that they're the reason Zoom went down all over the country today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you've got me back on my Let's start with positivity. My positive this week is I'm not that guy. <laughs> You're not that guy. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Or woman, or neither, or both. <laughs> I just always assume it's men yeah. who fuck up. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, there was a conversation that was like, I heard it was so and so. So um, let me tell you about my new work bestie. Okay. Oh, is this the one that I love already? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yay. So tell us more. So while we were in in service, um, the director of security in service is what we call uh, what we other people like to call summer vacation. <laughs> our no. teachers, because they're never on summer vacation. They're always at in service. Well, so in service and PD are very different in service are contract days that we have to be at school like that we actually get paid for that there are no students. 
PD are the things we do for free. And then people say that we get paid for vacations. Fuck that. Well, um, you know what? I was trying to help you out, but you I just do appreciate it, so. it. Sorry. I'm so tired. Nuance is lost on me. Like, just heads up. Yeah. I already hung up on you for disagreeing with me earlier. So, you know where we are. I didn't even disagree <laughs> with you. Did I? I don't know yet. You started a statement okay. about our case today, and I was just done with it, apparently. I just okay. <laughs> closed all of Skype. Um, in any case, so we're sitting in this presentation about school shootings where. Someone had the gall to say that the reason children die in school shootings is because teachers are not fucking aware enough. Not, not because people have free access to guns and because Trumpster fires just continue to support. Trumpster fire. (laughs) That's my second favorite right now, right behind Cinnamon Hitler. Cinnamon Hitler is my favorite. (laughs) So Trumpster Fire came from my new work BFF. So anyway, um, not because these people are protecting, protecting in air quotes, the Second Amendment rights by not having, you know, a little bit stricter vetting process on who can fucking put their hands on a gun. That when they wrote that, they had fucking muskets. Yep. (laughs) So I'm sitting there uncomfortable because it's a brand new school in a brand new district. And I don't know whose feathers I'm going to ruffle by saying something. And it always happens inevitably. But I figured I wouldn't do it in literally the first session of in-service at my new school. Um, But she said something that made me know that we were going to be best friends. And she was just like, so let's talk about that session. I was like, you mean when we were fucking gaslit and said that we're the reason kids get shot? And she opens her spiral notebook of every snarky comment she thought. Um, And then she titled the page, Existence is Political. And then, so I knew immediately we were going to be friends forever, or at least for now, um, until I piss her off, because that's what I do, and then I have to bake cookies and apologize. But um, Friday, when we were working in our room, she came running in, and she goes, did you hear they're going to sentence the Golden State Killer? I would live stream it, but I have a metric fuck ton of work to do, and then ran back out, and I was like, this is a best friendship. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. Golden State Killer, I think it was 11 life sentences without the possibility of parole. Yes. And it somehow is not enough. It's not enough. However, I... And also the death penalty would not have been enough either. It's not enough. No. Um... Sucks. And also, you know how he was like pretending to be all decrepit and old, uh-huh. and, no and everybody in his life said like, he doesn't need any of that. And now he's yeah, now he's uh, standing on his desk in the prison cell, like putting up his stuff. First of all, that's fucking terrifying that he can like like that. Uh-huh. And then second of all, just no, no, take him out back and shoot him. I don't care. No, I want it to be pain. This is why I want it to suffer. This is why me and the Geneva Convention have some problems because, like, every once in a while. Yeah. Um. However, on did you see what else happened in true crime news today? Not today. Yeah, Peterson. Yeah, yeah. Amanda said that. The actual fuck. What were they making? Like not it. I'm not a huge fan of the death penalty, but that guy is guilty as 
fuck. Right. Anybody that says they're not is crazy. I'm sorry. I know there's people that are like, no, he, there's not enough evidence. And I agree that there's not enough evidence that it happened the way the prosecution says that it happened. But he still killed her. So. Right. Well, and fight. mostly like I... I know you don't agree with the death penalty. I don't ever know where I stand. I feel like I. Well, you know, because I waver, like with uh-huh. the Golden State Killer, I'm like, but right. also, but, but then I don't for like, you know, for every person they kill that actually committed the crime, think of how many more are on death row that didn't. Right. And th- so the worst part is I'm such a, I'm such a Republican about this one instance that it's too much of a drain on economy whenever somebody has a death sentence because they just keep going back and back and back for appeals until they've drained the whole system dry. Yeah. Also, you're not allowed to say that word. And I think (laughs) my Skype is about to go down. It's the only speaking of the R word. (laughs) Oh, Speaking of not the R word, this is Lifetime Sentence, and I'm Paul. <laughs> We're 10 minutes I'm in. Aaron. <laughs> oh, no. We are a pile of hot garbage. Aaron's hot. I'm garbage. The end. Thank you. Uh, also, speaking of the R word as in Republican, um, the second R word we don't say. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're having their convention this week. Boo. Which is basically just the Trump show. And like, if it's only members of one family giving, like you're holding your entire convention, I think you have a problem. You're in a cult. Call your dad. Um. Additionally, what the fuck did they do to Jackie's trees? I'm so mad about the oh White House garden. God. I'm I so mad. I can't even talk about it. I can't even talk about it. I'm super angry. And also, it's like they took every bit of color. And whitewashed it. Shocking. I know. I hate it. I want to know how uh, Eric Trump is going to give, like, a coherent speech for, like, ten whole minutes or whatever. Uh, 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 There's a president. Thank you. (laughs) Even though I don't think he knows the word president. He's Too like, many mm, dictator. I mean, <laughs> oh man, I saw a woman on TikTok who is my new hero, and um, she cracked a joke about Pence being married to mother, and I laughed for yes. days. I'm going to have to send it to you. Oh, no, not right now, phone. Like, I don't want the whole world to hear my TikToks. Have you seen the meme that's like, um, why are people bringing up uh, Kamala Harris's dating history? Nobody asked how many men uh, or how many uh, white dudes Mike Pence dated before he married mother. It was something along those lines. It was so funny. (laughs) But she cracked herself up when she said it, like, just my new hero. Um so we could go on for literal years we about could. current events. Let's jump back to the 1800s. Yes, let's. Uh, well, you see, uh, I, no, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Did you just put on a mid-Atlantic accent? Just <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to try. I follow this girl, speaking of TikTok, who does like a perfect mid-Atlantic accent because she like that's her actual accent. But um, it makes me jealous and I wish I could do it. Um, <laughs> I, but she records herself saying like the best insults like in her mid-Atlantic accent. It's so funny. That's funny. I just got a text message literally as we were recording that says, so we're watching Lifetime and there's going to be a movie called Pool Boy Murderer. And I wish so hard that it was one of the real things you get to cover. (laughs) (laughs) Pool Boy Murderer. That's delightful. Okay. This week I watched Lizzie Borden took an axe. Yes. Okay. So I'm pretty sure this was a Lifetime movie, but then there was also a series after this called The Lizzie Borden Chronicles. Right. Um, It stars Christina Ricci as Lizzie Borden. America's sweetheart of Casper fame. I love her. Casper and Now and Then. Oh, yeah, Now and Then. Great movie. Um, Black Snake Moan, Escaping the Madhouse of Nellie Bly's story. That's a Lifetime movie. And also the Lizzie Borden Chronicles. Oh, I didn't realize that she was in the Chronicles, too. Okay. Yeah, she is. Um, And then we have Clea Duvall, who plays Emma Borden. She was in Argo, The Faculty, The Handmaid's Tale, and Veep. Okay. So they got, like, real people. That means the music sucked Mm -hmm. this week. The music was really... I guess it was 1800, so they didn't have to worry about pop music. Uh, but the music was still a choice. We'll get to it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we open on a lovely farmhouse. Lizzie is eating a pear and watching pigeons. Do people keep pigeons on a farm? That's weird. I, That's what I wrote. <laughs> I never did. She's also watching some guy who's watching her too. She goes back into the house and grabs a dress Everything is super weird. Birds fly, clocks tick, etc. Then Lizzie walks into her room, sees her father's smashed-in face, and screams. Oh, well then. Some decidedly more modern music plays as we see Church let out. (laughs) Please tell me it's, in fact, WAP. That's the music playing (laughs) as Church exits. (laughs) That's a WAP. Uh no. Um, it's like, it's very guitar-ish. And I'm like, I think you're in the wrong century. It's Carlos Santana just strolling around. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lizzie talks about so-and-so's new carriage while her dad talks to his friends. Um, his friends say um, his daughters are very lovely. And he says, quote, If they're so lovely, why don't I have any grandchildren by now? Oh, fuck off. My mom keeps trying to say the same bullshit. The Bordens walk home and talk about lunch plans. Everyone seems low-key, miserable. Um, They eat in silence, and then Lizzie's father storms... Oh, no, I'm sorry. They eat in silence, and then Lizzie's father reads while she hums and irons. Her father gets angry with her for daring to make such a noise as humming, so he storm- she storms off. She goes outside to feed the pigeons. She sees two feed men confront her the father. the birds, top in the bag. 
Wrong movie. Um, two men confront Lizzie's father about not paying them, and he basically tells them to buzz off. <clears throat> um, Lizzie goes shopping with her friend Alice, um, and they talk about how much she wishes she had the life she imagined for herself. And she sometimes gets a feeling that something terrible is going to happen because of all these, my father's enemies and their arguments. Please tell me Christina Ricci uses this awful accent the whole time. I mean, I'll tell you that, but it may Dang. not be true. Dang. Um, I'm going to, I'm the one with the awful accent. First of all, how dare you? So, <laughs> Da, 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 da. She goes home and stares herself stares at herself in the mirror, like you do. Um, she's supposed to go to a party, but her father tells her no because it's inappropriate to be out at night without a proper escort. Okay, well, how the hell is she going to give you some grandkids if you won't let her leave the house? Damn. So she gets dressed and goes to the party anyway. Okay, that's how she's going to give you grandkids. Yeah, I guess this is supposed to be like the 1800s version of a rager. There's like red lights all around and people passing around champagne. And it's like what a really fun high school party would be in like an early 2000s movie, but with weird Victorian like, <laughs> clothes. A harpsichord as you're taking an acid. Like, <laughs> um, it was very odd. Um, so Lizzie makes a round and talks to people. The next morning, her mother wakes her up and she goes downstairs to find that there's been a robbery. No. And her mother's watch and some cash are missing. 20 whole dollars, which I'm sure was a lot of money in 1890s, whatever. But I'm like, 20 bucks? You called the cops? Okay, but also <laughs> 20 bucks is a lot of money now. Payday's tomorrow. Oh, I got paid on Friday, so I have a lot of money. Oh, gotcha. Richie Rich. <laughs> oh, well, I did pay my rent today, so I have uh, dramatically less amounts of money now. <laughs> um, so there's been a robbery. There's some cash missing, and it's because Lizzie stole it. Um, okay, $20, the are there to take $20 <laughs> in the 1880s is the equivalent in purchasing power to $624 today. Alright. <laughs> and then maybe don't leave it in your coin purse. Like Yeah. Why would I I wouldn't leave I wouldn't leave six hundred dollars of cash just lying around my house. Bury it in a coffee can in the backyard like I do. <laughs> or use a debit card like a normal person. Okay. Uh, rude. They accuse Lizzie of stealing it, but she denies it. Her father confronts her and she yells at him about how she's a prisoner in her own home. While her father just runs around and buys his new wife's family all kinds of things like houses and blah, 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 blah. Okay. She's just kind of a spoiled. But for real, if someone else was getting houses and my daddy had $20, I'd take it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He calls her ungrateful and they proceed to have a very weird, slightly sexualized conversation. Yeah, and I was like, I nah, don't remember this happening. Nah, I canceled that scene. <laughs> um, Lizzie goes to clean out the pigeon pen because the pigeons are dead. And I don't know why or what happened to them. Well, you have to practice axing your farm pigeons. 
Okay. Lizzie's mother <clears throat> is changing the sheets and she hears a noise in the hallway. Lizzie's father is coming home from work for lunch to find the door locked. He gets in and um, Lizzie tells her father that mother went out. Um, Lizzie hugs her dad and he asks her why she's so sweaty. <laughs> I just, I fucking can't. I, well, I mean, apparently not everyone has a damaged relationship to their father because that made me laugh. <laughs> I don't know. I'm well, still, like, that oog- sounds about right. I'm still ooged out by this weird, like, sexual thing that happened earlier. And now he's like, why are you sweaty? Like, dad's just canceled. She asks her father if he's going to take a nap, and he says yes. He sits down to read the paper and then Lizzie kind of like dances around outside the parlor until he finally lies down and closes his eyes. Then we see that same opening scene where Lizzie comes into the room and screams. She tells the maid, quote, father is dead. Someone must have come in and killed him. (laughs) That is literally what she says. That's almost as good as the 911 call of the whiny guy who would like... Do you remember there was a whining crime about this guy who he'd call and he'd be like, I accidentally killed someone. Oh, yeah. The weepy voice killer. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So. Bridget, the maid, runs down the street screaming for a doctor. The doctor comes in to lay a sheet over Mr. Borden. While Lizzie cries, the police come in and the doctor whips the sheet off, like to be all dramatic. He's like, here's the victim. And there was actually a place setting on top, like a table with a magician. And it's still Uh, there. No, but one of the police officers does go outside and throw up. So that was pretty funny. Uh (laughs) Um, Her friend Alice comes to her to Lizzie's side and is allowed through the crowd of people into the crime scene house because it's the 1800s and there are are no no rules. rules. (laughs) It's an outback steakhouse Um, in there. Lizzie says her stepmother went out, but Bridget says she never saw her leave. Lizzie tells Bridget to go check the upstairs where she finds another body. I'm going to take a wild guess and Mm -hmm. say it was an it was all the pigeons put together underneath another sheet no it was the stepmother but like again there are no rules in the 1800s so of course nobody like thought to go upstairs when there's a brutally murdered man downstairs well right why would somebody kill in two bodies in why one would house we clear the house yeah mm-hmm. um so more police show up in a carriage and there's even a photographer there to take photos <laughs> I'm choosing to believe that they're ready for like a boudoir short shot. Like they, they just like stumbled upon this crime scene and they were like, well, I mean, this will work too. No, it's where that, that famous photo of uh, Lizzie Borden's father comes from. Right. Dead on the couch. Um, Lizzie's sister comes home and the detective comes to ask Lizzie questions. She says she doesn't know what happened. She was looking for her fishing tackle and she ate a pair, three pairs. And then she came back inside and found her father. He asks to see her hands and he starts checking her for blood. He asks what the stain is on her dress. And she says she thinks it's stew. Then he gives her like a very weird, very close once over. 
Okay. I'm this whole out. movie has like a slight air of like sexuality to it that I'm like, what is happening? I mean, it is Lifetime, and there was a long time that they were really that kind of salacious, sexy, sultry kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were just trying to get back to their roots. When was this filmed? 2014. Okay. They start asking more questions, more invasive question, which incenses her sister and generally sends them both clutching for their pearls. <clears throat> Finally, they all leave, and Emma and Lizzie chat while the maid eavesdrops on them, of course. Um, her sister halfway accuses her of being involved by asking why she didn't run away, and Lizzie tells her she didn't run because, quote, in my mind, that's what killers do. They run, and I don't want to be look like a killer. Fair. So the next Instead, morning, you just, like, trot police... away. Mm-hmm. Just go lump, like. So the next morning, the police arrive to great fanfare and electric guitar music. Good. Santana's back. One day, Mr. Jennings, an associate of their father, comes by to announce that he is now their lawyer since the family keeps him on retainer. Turns out he's a criminal lawyer, and turns out that's a good thing because Lizzie is a suspect. Lizzie and her sister go to the funeral. As soon as it's over, the like, literally, they haven't even driven away in their carriage before the police are like, hey, we're here to exhume the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> they wait until they shovel the last piece of dirt. Like, get it all patted like, down. Bitch, the funeral's not over. <laughs> <laughs> the preacher's praying, and they're like, um, excuse me, sir, sir, I just, can you move over just a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yes, amen. Now, sir, can you please move? So Lizzie and Emma offer a $5,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the perpetrator of the crime. The mayor comes by to tell them there's a formal inquisition, and the, they're presence has been requested at the police station for an interview that is a quote mere formality i forget um, there was a time when mayors actually did things yeah like i was like why is the mayor coming by and then i was like oh yeah they used to be more than a figurehead yeah so the next day they go to the courthouse slash police station um the prosecutor tells her that in fact there was blood on her dress and asks her to bring it to them so she naturally goes home and burns it. Well, why wouldn't you? Her sister walks outside to see what she's doing, and she just yells at her like to go back inside. So luckily the maid, or no, no, luckily their friend Alice is watching from the window and is going to immediately run to the police and tell them. Um, the inspectors, or whatever, are presenting their case to the judge, who just can't believe Lizzie could be responsible for this. But don't worry. The inspector is here to remind us all that Lizzie is a woman. Women can't be can be hysterical. There are insane asylums all over this country, just chock full of insane women. You see? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see? <laughs> Back in the courtroom, Lizzie is being questioned over whether she actually owns fishing tackle and the audacity to eat not one but three pairs. God. Did they fat shame her in the middle of court? Like, Basically, um, he accuses her of, being, of the murders. And wow, court in the 1800s was rough. Like, he's like screaming in her face that she's a murderer. And she's like, can you please like step back like five steps? She just Thank pulls you. out a pack of Mentos and is like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lizzie goes home and fires Bridget. <laughs> Later, the doctor comes over 
to give Lizzie a shot of morphine for her anxiety. And can someone please go fetch yeah. that doctor right? for me? Ex- <laughs> right? Like, I think I've got ghosts in my blood right now. I do have ghosts in my blood for sure. Um, Lizzie goes back and forth between court and home, getting shots of morphine in between. Um, I wrote here, I guess she's officially on trial now, but she's not. Um, but I was really confused. Either way, she's super high out of her mind. And now her story is starting to get mixed up, of course, because that's what happens when you're high. That's why they make you come to court and testify sober. Okay, now you're just talking crazy talk. I know. Um... And I, then I wrote, oh, I guess this wasn't the actual The hell was that? You were being haunted. You are an asshole. I did nothing. Not you. Oh, I was looking down drawing. All I knew is I said you're, you're haunted. And then you said you're an asshole. <laughs> Juniper B. Jones, go over there. You're bad. Go. <laughs> At least Winston's not ruining our recording this week. (laughs) Okay, so I put, oh, I guess this wasn't the actual trial because the investigator comes to arrest her. Um, Her attorney says that because she burned the dress, they think that creates motive. Of course, now Lizzie's case is headline news. I'm sorry, do they not know what motive means? Like, burning a dress isn't motive. It's suspicious for sure. Yeah. I think that's what they meant. Okay. Like it gives them a reason to be suspicious. Gotcha. I thought you were saying that they said burning the dress was the motive for the killing. And I was like, no, 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 not the motive for the murder, (laughs) the motive for her arrest. Gotcha. Why she got arrested. Okay. Um, at court, Lizzie walks in with her purse because you may be in jail, but she still needs a handbag. Well, yeah. (laughs) everyone shrieks there she is when she arrives the jury of 12 old ass men are already annoying me the investigator slash prosecutor starts yelling about fire and brimstone then we cut immediately to another house where someone is murdered with an axe it couldn't have been lizzie because she was in jail it was bridget she paid bridget probably Someone runs into court with the news and they call a recess. So now the lawyers are arguing over whether there should be even be a trial at all. But the judge says the show must go on. So um, they call Bridget to the stand. The maid. Oh, they call Bridget to the stand. And then the friend Alice, who testifies that she saw Lizzie burn the dress through the window. The detective is questioned about why he didn't question the old looking stew stain any further at the time. And he was like, dude, because it looked like an old food stain and not blood. But cool. Um, by the um, way, if you have a friend who is not going to help you hide a body, <clears throat> they're not a friend. No. No. Um, Lizzie's attorney questions him next. And he advises that Lizzie didn't have bl- blood on herself or her dress. And that kind of crime would have produced a lot more blood all over her clothes. Duh. Um, they interview the pharmacist because Lizzie had been in there looking at cyanide, but he didn't actually sell her any cyanide. So I don't know what the point of that was. Um, excuse me, sir. Did you see Lizzie Borden look at something? I rest my case, your honor. I saw, I saw Lizzie Borden with the devil. (laughs) If you're in the South, it's I seen. 
Everything is here as I seen. I seen. I seen. They interview the coroner next. The, then the prosecutor opens a box with the victim's heads inside. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, Can you say that whole sentence thing. again? Because I was not prepared. So they interview the coroner and then they, they like the prosecutor has this box on the desk and he's like, I'm going to, sh- I want to introduce into evidence. I'm now there in the South. I don't <laughs> know <laughs> he's like, look at this. And so he pulls open this box and it's the two skulls of the victims inside. And so everyone in the courtroom, of course, it's the 1800s are like, Oh, Oh, Oh. And then, you know, Lizzie faints and her sister like runs over and is like fussing over her. It was a whole big old mess. The prosecutors got like so proud of himself. He's like, this is exhibit a and Z. It's the first and last stop and proving she's guilty. Thank you. Your honor. Then he and does then finger guns. <laughs> Um, next, her sister Emma gets on the stand and talks about how kind, gentle, and devoted Lizzie is, and how much Lizzie loves their father. The prosecutor gets up and tries to get Emma to change her mind. Emma tells him that the dress brought back too many bad memories, and they decided to burn it together. Oh, Lizzie has a yeah. Lizzie has a nightmare about being on the gallows and that stupid prosecutor and his dumbass pocket watch are like walking around behind her, which that's terrifying. Right. Um. <clears throat> it's closing statements. Nothing terribly exciting. Lizzie's lawyer reminds everyone that there was literally, literally no evidence tying Lizzie to this crime. He tells the jury that even if, if they even can conceive that anyone else could have done this, then that's reasonable doubt. The prosecutor continues to call Lizzie unholy, which he's been doing this whole time. What is on your head? I got bored. Are you not taking your ADD medication? Oh, it stopped working in the middle of quarantine. I got a new doctor and we are working on getting a new medicine that will actually work. Um, We're trying a stimulant pretty soon because that one didn't work anymore. But I think I look cute too. Are you taking a picture of me? I sure am. (laughs) We will, in fact, post this. I'm going to send it to your wife and be like, fix this. Just keep in mind, she has to live with me every single day. I know. She's a saint. Okay, anyways, Lizzie's... mm, The prosecutor continues to call Lizzie unholy, which I don't think has the effect that he wants it to. (sighs) I'm going to make you sit on your hands. Listen, I ran out of things to draw. My son was little and he couldn't stop touching stuff. I would make him sit on his hands. I don't know why you're so mad at me. This is very aggressive. So um, after all of this that you no longer hear because it's gone, um, I threw a toddler hissy fit because my ADHD is out of control when I'm this tired. So we're now falling back into where we should have been in our recording. And I'm super embarrassed. So that's great. Don't be embarrassed. It's totally fine. Where was I? I don't even know. Oh, shit. You were at the place. They... Mm. Oh, let me back up and see. <laughs> he kept calling Lizzie unholy and go. Yeah, which I don't think has the effect that he wants it to. Either that or I'm so desensitized to the word that like it means nothing to me. Yeah, I think it had a bigger impact back Could then. Could be a both and situation. <laughs> sure. Um, The prosecutor. Oh, no. 
Sorry. Um, then the judges let Lizzie, because there's three judges, because 1800s. I, right. I don't know. Um, I just feel like you guys are really judging me lately. Like, hmm. like this is a lot. The process, or so they they tell Lizzie that she can give a statement, which she just stands up and says, "quote I am innocent. I leave to my counsel to speak for me." So the judges send Colonel Sanders and his eleven friends to deliberate. Um, Lizzie starts there, freaking is out. Is that where all the secret spices came from? They just contributed something so. in that yeah. meeting. They had to have something to talk about during the two and a half hours that they deliberate. <laughs> um, so um, Lizzie starts freaking out on whether it's a bad sign that the jury is back so soon. Cause they're back like two hours later, like wham, bam. Um, uh, her lawyer's like, just calm down. It's gonna be fine. They find Lizzie not guilty. She cries. Everyone goes up in arms and starts swooning again. The judge calls order and Lizzie is free to go. Sometime later, Lizzie and her sister are walking to church. As they walk in, people get up and move. Like, from where they're oh, sitting. so they're Baptist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, later, Lizzie and her sister throw a New Year's party. The next morning, Emma is super pissed because of Lizzie's quote-unquote cavalier behavior. She tells her that she tells Lizzie that those people just see Lizzie as a carnival attraction because they think she got away with murder. Lizzie asks Emma if she wants to know for real if she did it or not. Oh, damn. And then I guess leans into her ear and confesses the whole murder because Emma starts crying and then they start replaying the quote unquote murder in the scene. And I guess she also did it. She also murdered them naked because that's how they show it in the movie. Well, that's how she didn't get blood on her dress. That really was Stu. Um... Then she washes everything, puts her dress back on, quote-unquote, discovers the bodies, and screams. Then she creepily kisses her sister on the cheek and goes back to her coffee or tea or whatever. Her sister storms out and leaves. The ending text says they never saw each other again. No one was ever convicted of the murders of Andrew and Abby Borden, and it ends with children creepily singing... Lizzie Borden took a knack, gave her mother 40 wax when she saw what she had done. Gave she her gave her father 41. Mm-hmm. The end. The end. All right. So um, special, super special shout out to um, our dear friend, Fran, who um, was my research assistant this week. And by research assistant, I mean she just did it all because mm-hmm. first week of school, it was not about to happen. Yeah. Um. So, um, she, oh, shit, shit, there's a forward, there's, <laughs> okay, would you like to know how many words that she put into this? Because I know. Yes, please tell everyone. And don't everyone. read it off the bottom of the screen. No, the bottom of the screen tells me per section. 3,700. Yeah, I know. That's too many. <laughs> Fran, you are incredible. Um, she yeah, she says, I've done as much research as I could. Research, 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 research. With the, with the time that I had, it must be said that there were some details that tend to be contested, days of events, how long it took for the doctor to get there, what was said, etc. <clears throat> the fact remains that there may be a few differences between this paper and the History Channel documentary that I saw. 
Some people think that Lizzie told Bridget to go shopping. Others say that they told her to lie down, that she told her to lie down. The important fact remains stagnant, that Lizzie Borden took a hatchet to her father and stepmother, and they were both found brutally murdered on August 4th, 1892. Yes. Some people say that Andrew was struck <laughs> 10 times. Some say 11 times. Others say 12. But it sure to God was we not... 11. She says it sure to God was not 40. No one thought that. Um, <laughs> but 11, possibly 12, maybe even 13 does not fit into the rhyme, Fran. So I'm no. going to have to dock points on this essay. Yeah. Some thought. Oh. Down to an A plus, Missy. <laughs> Some thought that Abby remained kneeling throughout the slaying. That was not true. Her dress was adjusted in the name of modesty. Given the time period, it is also a guarantee that the time try, that the crime scene was compromised in some ways. Um, as we mentioned, um, laws didn't exist in the 1800s, and crime scenes were no. meant to be trampled on. They were. Um, Lizzie was ex- was instructed to place a sheet over the body of her father since it was grossing out the police officers. <laughs> <laughs> So I was listening, I'm listening to a book right now. Um, it's by the Mindhunter guy, um, John Douglas. And he talks about like a vic- this woman whose daughter was kidnapped and murdered. And the mother is like, all she can remember of the day is how dirty the floor was because of people just walking in and out of the house. Huh. Interesting. You just reminded me of that with the crime right. scenes have no rules. Um, so <laughs> Fran said, um, the fact remains the murder is over a century old. There are going to be some discrepancies and some contested points, but the really important parts are the same. Unfortunately, I did not solve this, but I remain convinced that Lizzie did it. The I'm unconvinced for sure. Um, she says the movie that Aaron saw, I have seen myself and I enjoyed it. There's a lot of staying power and also Christina Ricci. That movie was awesome, but like all things, it took some liberties in typical lifetime fashion. If you liked this, there's also a film made in 2018 called Lizzie star- starring Kristen Stewart and the follow-up mini series to Lizzie Borden took an ax called the Lizzie Borden Chronicles. Um, she says it's no longer on Netflix in the U S but she's sure you can find it somewhere. Um, and so here is her research, but I thought her foreword was just a, so very Fran, but also, um, very appropriate. All right. Yes. So, Oh, I just clicked things with my toes. Excellent. (laughs) So August 24th, 2020. Oh, that's the date she typed. I was like, this feels too current. Uh, that's today's date like but if you're like it it happened yesterday you just don't remember i'd be like that makes sense (laughs) right um tell me about it right so lizzie andrew borden that was her birth name was Mm -hmm. born on july 19th 1860 in massachusetts she was the youngest of three children to andrew borden and sarah morse borden the eldest was her sister, Emma, who was 10 years her senior. Um, and they had a middle sister, Alice, who died at two years old in 1858. Aww. So two years later, they had Lizzie. Um, when Emma was 12 and Lizzie was two, 
Um, Sarah, their mother, fell ill and died. It is said that on Sarah's deathbed, 12-year-old Emma vowed to always protect and take care of Lizzie. Which I feel like is something that is, like, very romanticized in the 1800s. That today we're like, okay, so on his deathbed, he said, fuck all y'all. And we were like, that's right, Grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. So Grandpa. (laughs) He really wasn't feeling well those last few days. (laughs) I think he was feeling the best he'd ever felt. No, um, that's when you have to go out to family and be like, mm, that's not really what he thought of you, I swear. Uh, my best Even friend, though it is. Right? <laughs> my best friend and I have a pact that whichever one goes first, the other one is going to stand up in their funeral and say, you know, he didn't even fucking like you. Or, you know, yeah. she didn't even fucking like you. So... <laughs> oh, Why the- is my phone being weird? My computer, I mean... No idea. My computer's possessed. Excellent. Okay. Um, Hopefully that helps. Okay. Anyway, so Lizzie always looked. Any hoozles. Right. Lizzie almost uh, always looked at Emma as a mother figure. Um, and so her father remarried a woman named Abby Durfee Gray. Durf mm-hmm. Durfe D U R F E E. That does not roll off the top. <laughs> it does not. I hope she didn't get in trouble very often. Abby Durfee. I'm just trying to figure out what other fruits I can make you draw for me that look like that orange. Oh, that's my first ever oil painting. I love that. Um, so... I really do want it in my kitchen. Let's see. I want three. Like, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, we can talk about this later. <laughs> now you're ADHDing. Now my ADHD. Um. So, the girls got on just fine with Abby in the beginning. Um. They called her mother, and um. They acted like her daughters for all intents and purposes. At one point, however, Abby's half sister had fallen on hard times, and they asked Andrew to help, which he did by giving his sister-in-law a rental property. This angered his daughters and led the two of them to suspect Abby had remarried their father for the money, going so far as to switching from calling her mother to Mrs. Borden every time they had to address her. I ain't saying she's a gold digger. (laughs) Fred said, I assume because the phrase, you're not my real mom, was not yet in the common lexicon. Okay, but she, like, in the movie, Lizzie does say she wasn't my mom. Huh. So... They're like, it's when the prosecutor is like, it's when she's in questioning and the prosecutor is like in her face, like screaming, you killed her, you killed your parents, you killed her, whatever. And she's like, screams back, she's not my real mom. Like, wow. Okay. Um, the girls never even ate in the same room as their parents testified Miss Sullivan, their living servant. And I remember, so I think My Favorite Murder covered this, and they were confused by if Miss Sullivan and Bridget were the same person also. Um, and Fran might actually clear this up later, um, but I um, I think that that is the same person. Okay. Um, so Borden was a big-time real estate conglomerate. He had several textile mills, including the Global Yarn Mill Company, Troy Cotton, mm. and Woolen Manufacturing Company. Um, so Ooh. he was a wool mo- mogul. You know how those wool moguls are. 
Um, they are. Mm-hmm. He originally started as a funeral director who, as you do, I knew this, chopped the feet off the corpses in order to shove them in smaller caskets, but he charged the families for full-sized caskets. That is a thing that I remember, but I didn't remember it until you just said that, and now I'm grossed out. Um. And Fran would like to remind you, she says, in fact, reminder from your friendly neighborhood deathling to always check the body. It is your right to a preemptive viewing. Um, at the time of his death, he was worth an estimate of $300,000, which with inflation today amounts to roughly $8.4 million. Okay. Borden had sold his daughter. He could get it. Yeah. Um, so Borden had sold another real rental property that should have been his daughter's for one. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. I can't read what Fran wrote. I, I'm the idiot. Borden sold his daughter's another rental property for $1. But when they spent more money fixing it up than they were getting, get, getting from the renters, they sold it back and their father charged them $5,000 for them to sell it back to him. And she, she says another, another motive drink. Oh my God. <laughs> it is said that Lizzie had a coop of pet pigeons and was heartbroken to find that her father had slaughtered them all with an axe in order to deter the neighborhood kids from hunting them. No, no one in this family can just donate them or set them free. We have to kill them, Dad. Yeah. Lizzie was allegedly distraught and the pigeons were brought up in court as a motive. Again, while this is a dick move, I think they're really grasping for a motive or at least a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, She would go on essentially to be the first OJ Simpson in American history, going so far as to inspire Christina Ritchie movies, documentaries, a solid band name, a badass rock song by Floatsum and Jetsum, and uh, one creepy ass... Flotsum. Flotsum, sorry. No, shit, this is spelled floatsome. Okay. I know, but, like, it's even underlined that that is incorrect, so I assume that that's a band I've never heard of. I mean, if you know them, then floatsome, but I'm just telling you what's spelled in front of me. Um, One creepy-ass nursery rhyme and a macabre historical site which prompts idiots like myself to hunt it out and hope that you feel a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to interrupt this with, like, a sick burn. Okay, yes. Because, you know, the the RNC convention is happening. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, as you probably know, because this is the South, Jerry Falwell Jr. uh, Right, bye-bye. Stepped down as the president of Liberty University because a pool boy alleges that he, that Jerry Falwell sat in a corner and watched while the pool boy screwed his wife. Oh, yeah. And so then later, so just like an hour ago, somebody posted, so is Jerry Falwell still going to speak at the RNC or is he just going to sit in the corner and watch? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, well, and you are welcome. In the midst of all that, he posted that picture with his wife's like, assistant or secretary or somebody like that and both of their pants are undone and he's like partying on this barge like what the hell is happening like 
I'm a good Baptist and we hide our sins. We don't post them on Instagram. Well, sometimes you do. And then that's when you get fired. <laughs> um, so she says, uh, you can now find the Lizzie Borden house at 92nd at 92 2nd street, where if the reviews are any indication, the tour guides are on point. This is well off area. <laughs> this is a well off area. However, not as well off as the section in which many of Andrew's families and several upper crust families live simply called the Hill, which is about as yuppie filled as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Lizzie was obsessed with living there. However, Andrew chose his house because it was closest to all of his businesses. Lizzie's frustration at her father living so well below, uh, living so well below his means was both infamous and palpable. (laughs) Every time there's a motive, she says drink. And like, I feel like (laughs) I should have a drink. Um, I'm going to need to refill. So you keep talking. I'm going to refill. BRB. Okay. I can literally still hear you. (laughs) Abby Durfee Gray was in her 30s when she married Mr. Borden. It was hardly a love story for the ages. She needed a husband, and Andrew had two motherless daughters. It was mutually beneficial, especially given the Borden's name and reputation. Abby essentially hit the jackpot. This was not lost on anyone, as the etiquette goes. There was not a lot of options for women in, for a woman in her 30s. Fuck you, Victorian society. I would also like to point out that she uh, titled this subsection, Fuck You, Victorian Era. Excellent. So, true story, like, in the movie, um, Lizzie's father and their weird, like, sexualized conversation is like, do you want to grow up to be a spinster? <laughs> I I thought I canceled that scene. Like I wrote that I canceled scenes. It's in my notes from where I was trying hard to focus. Um, well, <laughs> did not get canceled in my version of the movie that I saw. So speaking of spinster, <clears throat> Emma was viewed as the stereotypical spinster. She was older. She mm-hmm. was unwed at 30 and six. And again, she says, fuck you, Victorian high society. And 30 and herself. six. So 36. I said 36. You said 30 and 6. Oh, well, then I'm going old school, apparently. <laughs> Back in 1982. So, like she, she's, so she's my age. She's Yep. And you have a cat, Aaron. You're a spinster. Drink. <laughs> um, she was introverted. She was quiet. And she was um, described as plain looking. Emma was the polar opposite of her social butterfly little sister, Lizzie. Lizzie attended parties. She had a few close friends and she was very active in church. The girls attended central congregational church where Lizzie in particular taught Sunday school to children of recent immigrants served as secretary treasurer for the Christian Endeavor Society and was also heavily involved in the women's Christian temperance movement. Okay. This was the most socially active church. Uh, and so that was perfect for Lizzie since it was essentially the closest thing she could get to a life of her own. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Lizzie was an infamous shoplifter to the point that it was kind of um, the word of the local department, the word of the local department store to just bill her father and he would pay for it. Wow. But I feel like people could too easily take advantage of that. Uh-huh. And be like, oh, this expensive thing was stolen, must have been Lizzie, and then they take it home and keep it. 
In April of 1892, there was a robbery at the Borden house. $50 and some of Abby's jewelry was missing. Other than that, nothing else was taken. Um, There was an investigation until two weeks in when Mr. Borden called it off without explanation. Okay. Given his miserly reputation, everyone found it highly unusual, but in typical Victorian fashion, dropped it, you know, because a white man said to. Um, Mm -hmm. And from that point on, every door in the house would remain locked. Um, Granted, sticky fingers are a far far cry from murder, but many people Mm -hmm. consider this a testimony to Lizzie's troublemaking ways. It is important to remember that historians have described Lizzie and Abby's relationship as pure hatred, which proved that Abby was both killed first and suffered more blows. It was 19, but 40 wax fits better in the meter of the rhyme, I suppose. See, she's learning. Mm-hmm. Well, also, and this is something that I learned from the movie, um, I guess if if the father had died first, then the inheritance would have gone to his wife's family even Uh if she died too yes and then that way so since she died first then she was eliminated and then the the father died and then um then lizzie and emma got all the money right um so the family had a servant named bridget sullivan so that was bridget that i mentioned earlier that's what i thought um she was who was also called maggie because that was the previous servant's name I remember that being a point of conversation and they couldn't get down to why she was Maggie. So Fran, you dug down deep for me. Um, she said, essentially the sisters were just Miranda Priestleying it with this poor woman and just expected her to answer to Maggie bitches. I tell you. <laughs> Listen, no. Um, Anna Wintour and Miranda Priestley, i.e. Uh, Anne Hathaway? Oh huh? What are you saying? Anne Hathaway? Well, she's the one in the Devil Wears Prada with Miranda Priestly played by um, Meryl, Meryl Streep. Oh my god. I can't believe I forgot Queen Meryl's name. I have to go say 10 Hail Meryl. <laughs> um, no, but Anna Wintour and Miranda Priestly, aka Meryl Streep are the only two people that can Miranda Priestly around. That's it. <laughs> okay. I didn't know what you were trying to say, so I thought that you had misstated the other actress. I would have never known you screwed up Meryl, but now, like, you remember when I accidentally hung up on you earlier? Like, <laughs> the red button's right there. Do you remember when you threw an absolute tantrum earlier? Listen, I'm still real embarrassed. Okay. Like, you have no idea. <laughs> I keyed, I keyed, go. Um, so Bridget was afflicted with stomach problems the night before as she had um, eaten bad food. Apparently, it said she had also eaten the bad food, so I might have skipped a spot that said that people were suffering from food poisoning. Um, the morning of the murder... Bridget was urged to lie down by Lizzie, who commented that she looked sickly. Abby then stepped in and instructed Bridget to wash all the windows in the house, both inside and out. Poor Bridget was so sick she was seen vomiting in the grass as she scrubbed the outside of the windows. 
for for a while, she too was a suspect, but it was maintained that after she finished the windows, she trudged up to her bedroom to rest for a while until she heard the th- a thud in the guest bedroom and Lizzie laughing. <laughs> um, the admittedly fun film, Lizzie Borden Took an Axe, starring Christina Ricci, took some liberties by saying that her and Andrew were a little too close, to say the least. The film heavily implies an incestuous relationship between Lizzie and Andrew. Thank you! Thank you! I didn't want to say it because I was like, maybe I'm just like... I, maybe I'm watching this wrong, but it nope. really does. Nope. Fran's got you. Um, Ugh... It's just so weird to be like, also in this movie, there may be some incest happening, but maybe not. Right. Um, and then. And then the end, she kills her dad while she's naked. So I. I right. <laughs> and uh, she said the movie also heavily implies that Lizzie was jealous of Abby. And um, mm-hmm. although all agree that they were very close, it was the normal type of close. I was very quick to write this off. But a lot of Fall River historians maintain to not rule it out completely, saying that a lot of evidence was purposefully excluded from the trial. Personally, in this case, I think it was to give it more of a lifetime style crime of passion motive to the tragedy um, to really give it that extra push. There's another theory that she may have been a lesbian as she lived with her close friend in quotes, Nance O'Neill, after the trial. Yes. Um, conveniently, after her sister moved out. This is irrelevant because there are not enough primary sources to back this up. It's just irrelevant fact, as I mentioned before, an attempt to pile on the scandal and the crazy lesbian trope is so passe. We're all over it. Yeah, but they do kind of like Lifetime kind of leans into that as well. Like at the end of the movie when she comes back and she's at the, you know her New Year's party and they hug for just maybe a little too long. You know, it's just but it. Fran's right. It's so passe. Um, so on August 3rd, 1892, the family spent the days leading up to the attack complaining of stomach problems, but it was dismissed that it was due to Andrew's miserly nature to the point that he refused to buy fresh food and insisted it be cooked regardless of the state. Okay. So that's why Bridget was sick. Um, yeah, that's gross. I, I might've scrolled out of order there. Um, they had warmed over fish from the night before. They had warmed over fish the night before and everyone woke up sick. <laughs> and then she says, can't imagine why. When Abby went to the doctor that also, day. eighteen hundred, So like probably shouldn't keep the fish an extra day. Probably right? should just throw it out. Um, when Abby went to the doctor that day, she told him she was terrified that her food had been poisoned as Andrew Borden was a successful businessman, but not as a human being. The doctor told them that just buying fresh food would put an end to their suffering. So, um, Emma Borden slept at a house. Even party the doctor knows. He's like, no, 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 no. Go, <laughs> go home. Go to the grocery store. Why don't you? Um, there's a seat. Tell your husband to take it and go buy some fish. Yeah. Also, there's a limit on brisket to chew because of the hurricane. So, I laughed and laughed when I saw that meme. Like, <laughs> So the but ni- the thing is, it's true. You really can only buy two briskets right now. I know. The night of the third, Lizzie confided in Alice Russell that she had a, quote, horrible, foreboding feeling that someone might kill her father. 
At the house, her uncle from her mother's side, John Morse, stopped in for a visit and spent the night. At seven the next morning, John, and John, Andrew, and Abby had breakfast together, and Lizzie came down at nine and had her light breakfast. Morse left at a quarter to nine in the morning. Bridget went outside to tend to the windows. Abby went upstairs to the guest bedroom to straighten up after their guest had left. In the time it took Bridget to scrub the windows outside and come back, Andrew Borden had come home for lunch a little earlier at around 1045 in the morning. Lizzie was there okay. to greet him in her blue corduroy dress, explaining that Abby had received a note urging to attend, urging to tend to a sick friend across town. Right. Borden stated that he was not feeling well and reclined on the sofa for a nap. Bridget came back it's in. It's because you're eating gross fish, sir. Right. Bridget came back in and went up to rest in her attic bedroom. As she was falling asleep, she heard Lizzie call out, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Someone's come in and killed him. Now, if I'm Bridget and I hear that bitch scream Maggie's name, I'm just laying there. She's like, bitch, that is not my name. <laughs> so when Bridget saw the sight. And in the movie, in in um, The Devil Wears Prada, this would be the point where, like, after this, you know, Lizzie would be like, Bridget mm-hmm. and like start calling her by her real name. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. <laughs> that's all. Um, that's my all time favorite movie, but I forget that it is. God, I love that movie. Until I'm talking about it, I forget that it's my favorite. That is a great movie. So that whole makeover scene with the the um, with all Vogue those playing in the amazing background. clothes. Yes. Oh my god. Die for. Okay. Sorry, we're going off on a different trajectory. (laughs) (laughs) So, when Bridget saw the sight of Andrew Borden's face that was all smashed in to the point of being unrecognizable, there should have been no wind there. There's no (laughs) dangling uh, conjunction. Duh, Paul. I'm just like trying to add in for Fran. Yeah, she's so, going to be real pleased. I know. Um, blood was everywhere. She's going to love that you're taking your own liberties and adding words where they don't belong. Right. <laughs> blood was everywhere except for on Lizzie, and she urged Bridget to go upstairs and get Abby as she was, quote, sure she had heard her come in at some point. That's right. She made the poor sick maid discover the chopped up body of her stepmother. Listen, she's not going to do it herself. <laughs> She has a million zillion dollars now. She doesn't have to discover bodies on her own anymore. She has people to do it for her. God. Why are you so judgmental? How dare you? This is a good time to point out that if it were today, everyone would agree that Lizzie was not playing with a full deck. (laughs) She told her to go find the doctor, but instructed her not to get the one across the street because he was an immigrant and she wanted an American doctor to examine her parents. Okay, Trumpster Fire. Is this 2020? (laughs) I told you it was August 24th, 2020. Is it 2020? (laughs) Yeah, okay. I believe it now. Um, In fact, the only doctor who can come inspect this body is America's frontline doctor who's also cured all of COVID. Oh, yeah. Demon sex. (laughs) Dr. Stella. Demon sex. Yep. Stop having sex with demons and you'll be fine. Um, So she sent her to the other side of the neighborhood. 
It is said that the father was dead by the second or third blow, but he'd suffered upwards of 10 to 12 blows all to his head. His eye was cut completely in half. And his skull would reveal to be almost entirely caved in as the heads of both Andrew and Abby were cut off, boiled, and presented to the jury in her trial later on. Mm. Delicious. Mm -hmm. Head stew. Okay. I'm going to go throw up real quick. When inspecting, um, when the inspecting police asked her if she knew who might have killed her mother, she corrected the officer repeatedly. She's not my mother. My mother died when I was a child. That woman is not my mother. Nice going, Liz. Just hand them the motive on a silver platter. I mean... I don't know. Abby's blood was found cold. I feel like if that if that happened to me, like especially if my my stepmother was somebody I didn't care for, I'd be real sure to be like, "That's not my mom." <laughs> right. But I'm also a petty Betty, so. <clears throat> Abby's blood was found cold and congealed, giving the proof that she was killed up to two hours by estimate before Andrew. Lizzie maintained that she was outside when her father was killed, claiming to be looking for. Um, lead for sinkers for her fishing tackle. Um, mm-hmm. the next morning she was asked. The next time she was asked, sorry, um, she said she was looking for lead to fix a screen. It's important to realize that it is August in Massachusetts, so it was a hot, stuffy day, and this guy ran his house on kerosene lamps. There was no air conditioning. So when the police went to the room that she said she was in, they could not stand there for more than two minutes, let alone 15 to 20 that she claimed that she stood there looking for lead. Yeah, you got a hatchet, not lead, you crazy bitch, says Fran. <laughs> As for Abby, she said she was in the house, in the kitchen, reading a magazine. The house is really big, but it's hard to not hear a full-grown woman get struck in the head up to 20 times with a hatchet. Police are surprised at Lizzie's calm stature, chalking it up to shock as she calmly answers questions while police perform a post-mortem on the dining table. Yeah, that happened in the movie. And like, but... What made me laugh about it is that the the guy comes in and he's like, oh, we need to do our post-mortem. And Lizzie turns around and she goes, on the dining table? <laughs> and that's where she's the... Like, ma- I fucking eat there. That's where the magician set up his uh, place setting that he yanked off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Emma came home after the commotion with the police to see her sister Lizzie burning the dress she was wearing that day claiming it was stained with paint. This is where the time period really plays into the trial. In those days, the thought of a woman murdering someone was almost impossible. It had been done before, but only with poison. So to say that no one suspected Lizzie of murdering her own flesh and blood in such a time, um, and in such a manly way. It was hard for anyone to get their heads around this. Modesty was paramount in those days, and they lived and died by etiquette. Therefore, the male police officers would never go through a woman's thing so thoroughly, let alone ask to see her dress and in her wardrobe and go through her room. Lizzie told Alice Russell that she was going to burn her dress, which Alice advised against, saying that it made her look guilty. Emma, who vowed to protect Lizzie no matter what as children, also maintained that it was stained with paint. 
Dresses in 1892 were processed to put on and take off. There were petticoats and stays, corsets. There was a lot of hardware. Um, These days, any woman will tell you, says Fran, we can get into our pajamas from our work clothes in under a minute, depending on how much our day sucked. Yeah, I don't think so. All of this to say, um, Miss Sullivan sing Lidgy, Lidgy? That's a, she's the new character. Um, okay. The writer just threw them into you're, last minute as a red inter- herring. introducing a new character in the third act. Yeah. It's bold. Right. Yeah, Listen. So, um, Lidgy, who, um, Lizzie had decided was her alter ego. Um, she wore glasses, much like Clark Kent. And that's how mm. you didn't know it was Lizzie anymore. Okay. Um, so, um, all of this to say, Miss Sullivan seeing Lizzie with her father's body, it would not have given her enough time to kill them both and change. Attacks like that involved a lot of blood. This led to the theory that she committed the crimes in the nude and jumped back into her dress. When Alice said that that was the worst thing she could have done, Lizzie responded with, then you should have stopped me. Um, <laughs> Fran says, I don't like her either right now, so it's fine. I just like I don't know if it'd be more I I feel like if someone was naked and attacked me like I (laughs) I'm laughing and I don't know where you're going with this just the idea I don't either like I'd be so caught off guard But also be like, I can't take you seriously. You don't have any clothes on. I'd be like, get off of me, you psycho. Also, you have so many bits exposed that if someone's going to defend themselves against you, that's a lot to grab. I don't and know. Jody Arias and Travis Alexander. That bitch wasn't naked. You don't think so? You don't think that she was pretending no. to shower with him? She had clothes on. Yeah. How come they have pictures of her asshole? From that night. Like, I believe that she was oh, still naked. Because he, because he took pictures. She couldn't have taken pictures of her own asshole, okay? <laughs> right. It's physically impossible. Right, but those timestamps were so close together, she had to have been naked. Yeah, they had sex right before, but she got dressed. Okay. I'm telling you, she had clothes on. Okay. Because they found bloody clothes in the washing machine. Oh, that's right. For a second, I thought it was just the towel, uh, bloody towels, because that she cleaned up with. But I trust you on this. You're much more together than I am tonight. So, um, so finally, Lizzie was arrested as a suspect for the double homicide that occurred in her house. She was arrested and arraigned on August 11th, 1892. At the arraignment, she played she played the piano while she said she was not guilty. The piano thing didn't sure. didn't actually happen, but I didn't want to have to explain that I don't know how to read anymore. Okay. Um, and a court procedure was there to follow. Questions about the piano? <laughs> but, but I like this idea of Lizzie Borden the musical. I didn't do it while she's playing Piano Man. Sing us a song. I didn't kill my dad. Sing us a song tonight. Um, there was nowhere to put her as the Fall River Jail did not have any quarters for women. So they moved her up to um, Taunton, which was eight miles north of Fall River. So here's a timeline of events that can kind of be summed up. 
Um, August 22nd to 23rd. So we hit the anniversary yesterday as we record this. A preliminary, preliminary hearing is held. Judge Josiah Blaisdell finds that there is probable cause to try Lizzie for murder. Um, November mm-hmm. 31st, 1892, Alice Russell tells the grand jury about the visit she received from Lizzie the night before the murders. The grand jury issues an indictment against Lizzie for murder two days later. Um, okay. On June 5th of 1893, the trial of Lizzie Borden opens at the New Bedford Courthouse. And on June 20th, 1893, the jury returns its verdict in the Lizzie Borden trial, not guilty. It took them 90 minutes. Um yeah so when lizzie showed up for the trial she was wearing a form-fitting black dress which apart from the color was not the proper morning attire no one mourned like the victorians it was a way of life yeah it's true um and then she said for more information we did do our best in the 60s with all the veils and stuff right she said for more information which i told my friend when he dies i'm gonna show up to his funeral in a like in a veil a la uh Jackie Kennedy. Yeah. Um, she says, look up, ask a mortician. She has a video about it and ask a mortician is actually really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. so therefore when Lizzie showed up in court in this form fitting black dress with bright red ribbons in her hat, it caused more than a stir. Um, I mean, it was Victorian America. It it did not take a lot, a lot to cause a stir. (laughs) Um, So Lizzie had the original dream team of lawyers. Her sister paid through the nose for an attorney up to $25,000. Like, and she says in those days, no less. So it sounds like she paid $25,000 then not adjusted for inflation. That is a lot of money. The team was made up of Andrew Jennings and George D. Robinson. The latter was a former governor of Massachusetts. They drove home the defense of her involvement in the church. No one who devoted herself to God as much as Miss Borden, they emphasized Borden, remember they were old money, um, could possibly have the constitution to kill her father in such a nightmarish way. Yes. So, well, look, old money still said a lot back then. And it, well, and I say that, it still does now. Oh, yeah. Um, so Lizzie Borden changed her name to Lisbeth A. Borden once she was acquitted. Once she was acquitted and collected her inheritance and split it with her sister, finally buying her sought after house on the hill. While she was never found guilty, there's something to be said for public opinion. The majority of Fall River had it without a doubt that she was guilty. While she never received a physical death sentence, socialite and extrovert like Lizzie, um, she was instead sentenced to be a social pariah. She went to church the next week after the trial in the pew her family bought, and it did not escape her notice that the pews around her were empty. It was understood then that she was not welcome back. She spent her inheritance ostentatiously and did the exact same bullshit you and I would do if we got more money than we knew what to do with. Mm-hmm. She bought a new home with a full staff. Um mm-hmm. And a name, Maplecroft. She housed um, stage actress Nance O'Neill. The two lived under the same roof and through lavish parties. At one point, some think it was because Emma balked under the excessive lifestyle her sister had cultivated. But other thinks it was mainly, others think because she finally found out the truth. Um, Emma fled Maplecroft and the two sisters never spoke again. 
There are residents in Fall River for generations who are all convinced that she did it, and rightly so. If this were a case today, it might be open and shut. Granted, I thought the same thing about O.J. Simpson and Casey Anthony, so, you know. Yeah. (laughs) This paper barely scratches the surface. There are so many facets to this case, and it's so much more fucked up than anything we already knew before. Therefore, it really is. She says, here are some reasons I think Lizzie had gotten away with murder. Allegedly. I like that she put allegedly, allegedly. like Lizzie's going to come sue us personally. I mean, she. I'm sure she still has family. They have that old money. That's true. Um, so the time is a huge component here. The fact that misogyny clouded their judgment with the thought process about how a little lady could not possibly have had the mind to do such a thing. She said, I mentioned before that there was nowhere to put her. There are no women's quarters, no women's prisons. It was 1892. There were no fingerprints, no DNA analysis. Um, They would not, nor could not give a thorough search of the house um, as to not to offend Lizzie for the sake of her privacy. As for Mm -hmm. the trial, much like OJ, she had what was thought to be the the best legal team money could buy. She had a good defense thanks to her family's money. Combined with her privilege and her name, it was easy for her to give, get off on an acquittal. It's also the mm-hmm. same reason why some people are fascinated with this case over a century. A rich white, uh, over a century later, a rich white woman got away with murder. That checks off a lot of boxes for people. They want to know how. Yeah. They want to know what drove her to do it. Some say it was money, some say abuse, and some say she was just unhinged. Lindsay Borden's... Lindsay Borden, okay. She changed her name again and didn't tell me. Lizzie Borden's alleged homicide is still considered a cold case for that reason. In the eyes of the law, she was innocent. In her eyes, she was innocent. Lizzie died at the age of 67 in her big house in Fall Fall River, Massachusetts. She died unmarried, without children, and her estranged sister died eight days later. Wow. She is buried in her family plot on Oak Grove, Massachusetts, next to her parents and her sister, and a very suitable fate. She now spends eternity among the family that she desperately wanted to rid herself of all those years ago. All right, Fran. All right, Fran. You did the damn thing, and I am so grateful. Mm -hmm. All right. So do you know what we are watching next week? Okay. It's a surprise to all of us. Yes. Supplies. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, No, but I do know where you can find us on the socials. Please tell me, because I was wondering today where you could find us. <laughs> at Lifetime Sentence on Instagram, at Life Sentence Pod on Twitter, uh, Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. You can email us at Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can go to our website, Lifetime Sentence.com, for show notes and other things like that. And then you can also go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash lifetime sentence for all of our bonus content and other good stuff. And we also have merch, but it's not like a sayable link. So it'll be in our show notes this week. I will work on getting a like sayable link on that. Sayable. Sayable. Um, You are welcome for my English prowess. Listen, I introduced you Lidgy and Lindsay Borden tonight, so... Yes, so <laughs> we're in the same boat, my friend. Well, why don't we both get some sleep? Sleep? Sleep. 
Yes, let's go. Let's go use the sleep. <laughs> and uh, we will be back next week. All righty. Um, well, in that case, eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. And bye. don't oh. touch your face. Absolutely. I forgot that that was the added part. All right. Bye. <laughs> bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.